0: We just, um, can we just put the bridge to that song up? That'd be great. Your word unfailing, your promise unshaken, all my hope is in you. Yep, next one. The next bit of the bridge. <laughs> oh, that is a bit... Okay, so the first part. Your name, yeah, that's it. Your name is higher. Your name is greater. All my hope is in you. You know, as we're just singing that and led in that, it's just so awesome when, um, when there's a sense of what the Spirit is doing and what the Spirit is wanting to say, and there's a, a courage to say what you feel the Lord is saying when people before you have gone... And said the same thing. Um, and so the, the thing about the gospel is it's, it's God's words. It's um, something that has been spoken through generation after generation. And we simply declare the truth that Jesus once spoke and that others have spoken. And this morning we're speaking about exactly this bridge. Um, but before we get to that, um, last week, no, not last week, two weeks ago, Dave Smythe preached an awesome sermon. If you weren't here, go have a listen to it. It was wonderful. And he was speaking from uh, the passage about the vine and the branches, one of my favourite passages of Scripture. And he talked about a Trinitarian uh, aspect to it and how the Holy Spirit is like the sap uh, in the branches. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit, he just held up a a dead stick. He said, it's like we're, we're a stick. And um, as he was holding up this pile of dead sticks, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and gave me a picture and encouraged me to share it with you. And it's a picture of what the church is. And that is sometimes you and I come to church and we do feel a bit dead. We feel a bit broken, a bit dry. And he said um, that the Holy Spirit is like a fire. And I went to scouts in my day and I learned how to build a fire. And one of the things about building a fire is you do a bit of a teepee and the the fire starts at the bottom and one or two of the sticks at the bottom get caught a light and then that stick flame touches the next stick and then that stick becomes a light and then that stick's flame touches the next stick and that becomes a light and then you have a fire. And had this picture that when the Holy Spirit is at work in people, it's infectious and it's contagious. And sometimes when we draw close to people who are on fire for God, it's like the flame of love jumps off of them and and onto us and lights us up. And so a beautiful picture of the church is that we need one another. And as God's doing something in your life and in your life and in your life, and there's stuff going on, particularly in the prayer ministry team, I look at some of the leaders coming up and some of the things that they're excited about, and I hear that. And, and I want to draw close to that. I want to, like, let's get hold of what God's doing. And as, as they're um, celebrating and getting deeper and on fire for God, and the Holy Spirit is at work, that jumps off of them and it encourages me. And it makes me become a light. And th- the reason we need one another, and the reason we need to come together and stop, uh, we don't stop meeting together, we come together, is that we need one another for that specific purpose that the Holy Spirit is at work, perhaps in people, not just for them, but for others. So I just wanted to share that before we began. So, this morning I wanted to talk about shopping. See where this goes. Um, I want to talk about shopping because you see, I, I believe that there's two different types of shoppers in this world, and they're very different from one another. The first category of shopper, and I'm putting my wife fair and squarely in the middle of this category. The first type of shopper, say we've got an issue at home something's broken, uh, we need to replace it, an appliance, vacuum cleaner, something like that, this type of shopper will go straight to a shop that they trust. They will ignore every other shop, they just go straight to the one that they've had success in before, quality shop, say Meyer or David Jones, something like that. And they'll go to the area of the place that they need to find this thing, and they'll talk to the shop assistant, and they'll say, "What's the best? Um, you know, what's what's the best warranty? Is it made in Germany? Um, you know, is it industry top top of the line one? I want to have that one. Thanks. It's that one. Okay. Wrap it up. Put it in my car. I'll pay for it. I don't care how much it costs." <laughs> Uh, shopper type one um, doesn't care about the inconvenience of the wallet. They care about the convenience of the product, and all of this is done within possible. <laughs> sorry, sorry, all of this is done <laughs> in the shortest amount of time possible. They don't want to. They don't want to like dilly dally around, and you know they just want to get the job done because the product is is what matters. They want to have that. Um, so that's shopper number one. Shopper number two, and I'll put myself in this category, shopper number two likes to go to an area where there are lots of shops. And they peruse every single shop. And they might talk to a shop assistant and then they, oh, they're a bit young, they don't really know what they're talking about. I'll go to this place and this guy's experienced in it oh, oh, he's told me something I haven't thought about before, so I'll then go to the next shop and talk to that guy about that. Oh, this shop has a different product to the products in this shop, and, and they're made in a different country, and oh, they're, they're cheaper, but do they do the same thing? And all of a sudden, we've, we've got this comparison thing going on. We're going, well, we've got these ones, we've got this one, we've got this one, we've got that one. And after a long period of time... A product isn't actually purchased. No, no, you go to the next stage, you go home and you get on the internet and you look up reviews and you say, Well, that person didn't like that, that one's out. And oh, this one that I didn't even think of, I haven't even seen that one yet. I might look at that one online, and 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 all of a sudden, you, you're then like looking at reviews and 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 you might have this one, you might have this one, and you might have a few options. And and, and but by the end of it, you think, Oh, maybe this one. So then you check out the online price of this one, and then you go back to the shops, because you don't want to buy online, if something goes wrong, you want to actually take it back to a shop. And then you say, hey guys, you know, online I found it for this price, and it's, you know, what can you do for me? And then then the job's done, and it takes a long period of time. Hands up if you're shopper number one, okay. All right, so we're going to get the prayer ministry team out the front. And everyone who raised your hands, can you please just come out the front? No. Just joking. Uh, Category number two. Put your hand up if you're in category number two. Yeah. Look, I I start that way because the the shopper number two has this comparison model where trust in merely. Merely, that's Joe. Merely, that's it. Shopper number two has this comparison thing where, where, they, where they, they look at all the different options that's in front of them, and then one, one stands, stands tall. And you know, um, a reason I start with that is that I believe that Jesus asks his followers at the start of their faith and along the journey of faith to actually hold himself up against all of the options in life because Jesus isn't afraid to stand up against everything else because he knows that he is the ultimate product. He is the the one that is going to be better than one. The name is higher. The name is greater. All our hope is in him. It is in nothing else. And so Jesus isn't scared to um, present himself as an option along the way. And I think our life is a bit like that. Um, you know, this pursuit might be more fulfilling or this possession that I have might give me freedom or this investment will give me the things that I need or this this lifestyle will give me purpose. And Jesus holds himself up and no, no, no. Your fulfillment is in me. Your freedom is in me. Your meaning, your purpose is found in me and not in these other things. And so I wanted to, the title of my message this morning, is I think We nothing compares to you, Jesus. <laughs> Just in case we get confused with that love song by Sinead. Um, what was the name? Sinead. Sinead O'Connor. Nothing compares to you, Jesus. <laughs> you see. I want to take us to a passage in Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? Now, before we go any further, it's really important when a writer in Scripture actually tells you where something takes place. There's a subtlety that's going on here that sometimes we can just completely overlook. Um, Often Jesus would be speaking in places and we're not sure where it took place but often it's named the place and Caesarea Philippi is an interesting place where Jesus takes his disciples away from the hustle and bustle of what's going on and he wants to teach them something specific and something really impactful and so he drags them out and he takes them to the the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now this, this... this region is uh, north never, sorry, northeast of the Sea of Galilee, and it was known to be a place where temples were erected to pagan gods. Where it was a place of uh, a, an area where you could sit on top of a hill and you could look down. And you could visibly see all of these temples, all of these idols, all of these options for worship. And it was said that there were 14 such temples to um, pagan gods. Not only that, it was considered to be a place where the Roman god of Pan, of nature, resided. So we got pagan gods, we got Roman gods. It was also said to be the source, the spring, the beginning of the River Jordan. And so it had a a significance for the Jewish people. Not only that, but there in white marble, bigger and higher than everything else, was erected a monument, a statue of Caesar, because Caesar himself wanted to be considered as a god, and where, where else better to place yourself than amongst the area that all of these temples were, were erected? And so it's here in this context that Jesus asks his disciples these two questions. And it's like Jesus on purpose is saying, hey guys, look at that option. Look at that option. Look at what's before you. Look at what other people are doing. And I'm placing myself in amongst all of this. And it's like that in modern life. You know, we t- today perhaps might not see actual physical uh, you know, pagan worship, but there's certainly worship of other things other than the God of the Bible. If we look around our society, it's pretty obvious to see that we're built for worship and people put their hope and and their all in all into other things. So many things rise up just like a temple might rise up and demand our attention. They say, look at me. Hey, you need something. Pick me. Pick me. Look at me. Pick me. Pick me. There are things that use up our time. There are things that drain our resources. There are things that say, hey, you need to worship this. And Jesus, in this context, is saying, I am here. You know, sometimes we might think that that ultimate career or vocation will satisfy us. If only I could find that relationship that would give me meaning. If I could find financial freedom, that will give me reason to live. If I have this self-help philosophy or a retirement plan or something else, then I'm going to find life if I have it in these things. And what Jesus is saying when he goes to this region and he puts himself amongst us, he says, I am the one who brings freedom. I am the one who brings purpose. I am the one who brings fulfillment. I am the one who brings peace. I am the one who brings hope. I am the one that brings life. Nothing compares to me, nothing. Nothing compares to Jesus. And some of you might say this morning, yeah, but surely some of our joy or our hope or our satisfaction is found in these other things. Yes, Jesus does the church bit for me. Yes, he's saved me. But I find my joy and my hope in these other things. He's someone to pray to when things are tough. You know, if that's you, then perhaps, perhaps just maybe, you don't really know who Jesus is. We read in the story... Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say? What's the, what's the word on the street? What's the lowdown? What have you heard other people say about me? And all of these answers are, ele- they're saying that Jesus is good. They're saying that he's, there's something special about him, but it doesn't quite hit the mark. Some say John the Baptist. Now, he was just such a... a amazing character at the time that it wouldn't be impossible to think that he would come back to life because he's doing some amazing stuff at the time. Others say Elijah. Now the Jewish people uh, is prophesied in the Old Testament that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And Jesus uh, puts this claim to rest when he says that John the Baptist was a type of Elijah, the one that was preparing the way for me. So it was understandable that people might think he would be a Elijah. What well, about Jeremiah, in the inter period in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were some writings called the, the writings of the Maccabees. There was this revolt, there's this Jewish, um, they're gonna take over the Roman occupied territory and we're gonna take it back. And it was said that Jeremiah was gonna come back and be one of these strong leaders in order to do that. But all of these answers they miss the mark. And it's a bit like that in our society today. Who really is Jesus? Well, you know, you hear he's a, he was a good teacher. You know, I like the teachings of Jesus. But to say that you know, he's more than that or that he's my saviour, you know, he was a prophet. You know, other religions believe that Jesus was a prophet but they don't believe that he was the son of God. All of these answers don't quite add up. And then we get to Simon Peter's confession. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is who Jesus is. Now there's two parts to his answer. You are the Messiah. This is something that was expected the, the, the Jewish people were expecting the Messiah, the Christ, that means the anointed one, to come. But of course they thought that that was going to come and, and bring back the Jewish order over the Roman occupied um, thing at the time. So there's, there's, a, there's a, a human aspect, an understanding. But then he goes on to say, the son of the living God. Now this is the first time in history that a human being has actually Declared who Jesus truly is, and that's why Jesus says, "Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. It's not your intellect. It's not your re-, re reason. It's not your human understanding. But it's something that has been revealed to you. It's something that has come to you. So, when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to the things of the gospel." it's not about what we understand and reason and intellect. It's the fact that God actually comes to us. The very beginning of the gospel is that it's always him to us revealing something of who he is and that that revelation, that knowledge actually transforms us and changes us. And so Peter says, you are the son of the living God. This is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by by my father in heaven. And so Jesus is actually quite intentional in his questioning. First of all, he wants to know what people say. And when it comes to our faith, personally, you know what? It doesn't actually matter what I say. <laughs> it doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what your friends say, what your parents say. Jesus turns to them and he looks them in the face and says, what do you say? When it comes to our faith, it matters what we believe. And Jesus says to those disciples and he says to you and to me, who do you say I am? So I want us to do something. I want us to just close our eyes for a second. And I want to warn you that the answer to, your, to the, the answer to this question will change your life for one way or another. Close your eyes and I want you to picture Jesus standing in front of you, face to face. And I want you to picture Jesus saying these words to you. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? See, the answer to that question will either make all of the other options fade away or if we don't truly believe in who Jesus is, all the other options might still be there. Um. Jesus says to Simon, "Uh, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There's something very interesting going on here. First of all, he gets a name change. I'm going to come back to that. Secondly, he says, On this rock I will build my church. Now, some people have come to read this as in that Peter is the rock. That. He was the one that got up at Pentecost and gave the first sermon and upon that first declaration of the gospel the church came into being. But of course, the word for rock in, in the Bible isn't given to a person, it's actually given to God. And so what Jesus is saying is, yes, Peter is the first one to declare the truth, first one to understand and comprehend who Jesus is and All of those, including you and I, who come after him and declare that have that same confession of faith, we are the living building stones of the church. But not only that is that the confession itself, the revelation itself, the the truth of who Jesus is, is the rock. The gospel is the rock upon which Jesus builds his church. And so everyone who comes after Peter and declares that Jesus is Lord and that he is their saviour and he has come to save them, what the children said out here this morning in their kids' song, and declares those words of faith, that is what the church is built on, is built on who Jesus is and what he has done. And so the rock is the confession, is the truth of the gospel. And... Peter is given a new name. Simon means a weak stick. It's a great name, isn't it? Like to be known as being someone who's a bit of a weak stick, something that's blown in the breeze from this way to that way. Um, And all of a sudden, no, he's given a purpose and a meaning. He's given a name that means rock, solid, foundation. And see... There's something that happens when we declare who Jesus is and when we truly understand who he is. Number one, we begin to operate in the spiritual realm. And so he had an understanding, he had a revelation that came from outside of himself, and that's how things of God work. And as we continue to move in the things of God, it's not about what we understand here. It's about the capacity of God and his Majesty and his magnificence, and all that he is doing, coming to us, and we operate in that, and that's such a much better place to be than in ourselves. But number two, we're given a purpose. So Peter was a fisherman; he was just a lowly guy, humble, ordinary, every day. But here, upon his confession, is actually given. A purpose upon you, Peter, I'll build my church. There's going to be a reason, a a purpose through you that I'm going to outwork. And number three, the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. We participate in a movement that is guaranteed to win. How cool is that? What other option can stand up and say, that at the end of time, they will still remain. Jesus is going to remain. He is going to be left. No other option, on our deathbed, I'm going to put my hope in this. This is going to give me hope into the eternal life. Nothing compares to Jesus when it comes to participating in church and in a movement that goes forward. It says the gates of Hades, that means... even the place of the dead even when we think we're defeated and death is the end Jesus enters into that and breaks out of that the gates of death can't even hold Jesus because nothing compares to him nothing can stand against him I um, Josh stay awake Josh I saw you close your eyes. Um, I, pick up, I pick up Josh uh, every Sunday uh, to come to church, and we have a great conversation in the car. Yeah. Um, and quite often we're running a bit late, and there's something that happens up at Blackwood uh, in the car park up there. Once a month there's some guys who bring their classic cars and they park them in the car park and they have breakfast together. And often it's when, you know, we're in a bit of a hurry to get to church and, oh, it's the week the cars are here. And we sort of pull into the car park and do a slow cruise and, oh, check out that one, check out that one. We both love our classic cars. He's more into his American muscle cars and I'm into my sort of European, Japanese pocket rockets. And... um, so so often we're, we're looking at these cars. And something happened to me the other day. I was driving along in my car and I started daydreaming. Who daydreams when they're in the car? Yeah, sometimes you get to your location and you say, how did I get you? And I was daydreaming in the car and I thought, imagine if I came into some money. Imagine if some long lost relative that I didn't even know died and left me this estate and had this money and it's like, what would I... I'd buy a classic car. Yeah. I'd get a little Datto or a Ford Escort or something and that would be pretty cool. You know, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and he said, really? <laughs> so, that's the first thing you think about? You know, you've been going on and on about how this church could progress and go places if we had our own premises. You know, imagine that... Stopping the burnout of people having to pack up and set up and being able to provide programs during the week where there can be community engagement and, uh, you know, a place where we can just set up and, and declare and have a great church and gospel center. You know that that's needed. And the first thing you think about coming to money is a classic car? Come on, Samuel, what's going on there? And, um, I had to have a, a bit of a reality check, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm preaching this sermon on Sunday about how Jesus is well, our hope, and there's nothing else in Him." And here I am thinking that this classic car might bring me happiness. And what I'm saying is, there's nothing wrong with classic cars. There's nothing wrong with being in, liking a sport team. There's nothing wrong with pursuing financial freedom. There's nothing wrong with trying to find a soulmate. There's nothing wrong with these things. But when these things try or presume to be the source of happiness and hope, then they're out of whack. It's not these things that bring us life and hope and purpose. It's Jesus, there's nothing wrong with these things. In fact, I want to say, if you like classic cars, perhaps God's calling you to make a classic car club in which you can then get alongside other blokes who like classic cars and you can tell them about Jesus. Perhaps you can get along to the sport clubs and you can get alongside people there who aren't here and tell them about Jesus. Perhaps if you're very good at finance, you can help other people who are struggling in this area and you can help them. And in the process, you can tell them about Jesus. You see, Peter didn't always have it right. I love that here he has this revelation and he declares who Jesus is. But up until Pentecost, there's a few little bumps and ripples along the way. We all know about his denial. In fact, the very next verse, uh, the very next section of scripture, Jesus goes and talks about what he's going to do in order to be the Messiah. I'm going to go suffer many things and I'm going to be betrayed. And Peter stands up and says, no, 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 you're not. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So the very next verse, verse in the Bible. Peter's gone from oh, hallelujah, you've made this thing to get behind me, Satan. And then there's the next chapter, in chapter 17. I just want to end on this. After six days, Jesus took him, Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up the high mountain by themselves. Again, they're going by themselves. Here he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Peter says, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You see what's going on here? Once again, he's putting Jesus on the same plane as Moses. Moses was a great leader. He's considered the, the greatest leader in the Israelite history. Elijah, the greatest prophet. So he's saying, hey, you're up there. But he's missed the mark. Jesus isn't on the same plane as these guys. Nothing compares. And so while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to who? Him. listen to him when the disciples heard this they fell face down on the ground terrified Jesus came and touched them get up don't be afraid when they looked up they saw no one except Jesus see everything else fades away when we look to him to be our hope and our strength and our source of life everything else fades away and we're left with no one but Jesus Gonna get the worship team up you know <clears throat> we're going to just um, we're going to sing a song Cornerstone what a great way to Round up the message here. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. And I'm going to invite the prayer ministry team to actually come up and as we sing this song, you know, you might have come in this morning feeling a bit dead and broken. And you might just require prayer and support for what's happening in your life. But I think there's three responses to the word this morning. And And um, number one, you might be here this morning and you might just be at the very beginning of your faith journey. And you might be just beginning to look into the things of Jesus. And for you, there are lots of options. For you, there are lots of things to take your time or to worship or to look into. Perhaps this morning, Jesus is saying to you, pick me. Or you might be a bit like Peter and blown by the wind and you come to church and you're you're on fire for him and you go during the week and there's these temptations and there's these things that pull you away and that say, hey pick me you're going to find you're justified in this, you're going to find reason to do this and you come back to Sunday and you say, oh what did I do that for? I'm going to go for Jesus and then you go back and you're a bit like Peter and you're blowing in the breeze and and you're from this to that, from this to that. Perhaps this morning Jesus is saying, build a solid foundation. Put all of your hope in me and even in the midst of your temptations and your struggles during the week, look to me to be that anchor. Or perhaps the third thing is, you're well seasoned in your faith and you know that Jesus is Lord and you know that He is your rock. Perhaps Jesus is actually calling you to jump in 100% into something new, into something that God is calling you to. Like Peter had a purpose and a reason to step up at Pentecost and declare the gospel. Perhaps it's time to get rid of the fears and the anxieties and, and the doubts and the reasons why not to serve and why not to step up to the call that God's actually placed upon your life. It's actually time for you to actually step into the reality of what He has for you. So we're gonna sing this song, but, and as we do, feel free to come down and pray. I'll be down here too. But I just wanna come full circle. You know, at the start I paid out shopping type one personalities. But you know what Jesus wants when it comes to followers of Him? He wants type one followers. That no matter what the situation, no matter what the hurt, no matter what the brokenness, you make a beeline for Him. You don't consider any other option. You don't waste your time. You go straight to the source, straight to your hope. And you don't care about the cost. There's a cost to following Jesus, there is a cost but the presence and the way that Jesus comes and changes your circumstances far outweighs the cost of what it means to actually go to Him in the first place. Jesus wants type one followers that just run into His arms. So let's stand and sing in Christ alone. If you feel led to come down and pray, just feel free to do that.